Hello and welcome to episode 184 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me at home in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. Ben, what's up with this uh, college admissions scandal? <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking about it. I, I was actually trying to think about how people who do this end up getting caught. But I guess you do it for a little while, right? And then it's an easy way to make money. So it just it's kind of like those golden handcuffs for uh, for lawyers, right? You get the money and then you don't see another way of making the money. So you keep going, you keep going, it gets bigger and bigger. And then people start getting wind of it. And now you're hosed. It's a good argument against uh, even starting with any kind of shady dealings, because once you get addicted to that money, then yeah, you, uh, you get stuck and then eventually it all comes crashing down <laughs> or you become the president of the United States. I don't know. One way oh, or yeah. The other. Yeah. Um, well, I was thinking about it too. He probably has good legal counsel, which is a little ironic because he has that good legal counsel because he was fraudulent, right? Like that money is that he's got somewhere is paying for this counsel somehow. Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, how, that's never changed, right? That's <laughs> no, no. I just I don't know. It's this kind. Of, it's kind of just. It makes the system seem a little, <laughs> yeah, a little more weighted to unfairness or something. Like you're because good counsel makes a difference in your outcome, right? Like, and you're basically cheating and then paying top dollar to avoid the consequences of that cheating. That's yeah. nothing new, of course. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, were you, people were emailing me yesterday, like wanting my reaction to this mm. whole thing. Were you shocked by, by any of it? N- no, I guess not really. Yeah. My reaction was basically like, what else is new? I mean, people have been building libraries on campuses to get their kids into school forever. Yeah. Just donating $5 million, that has no cheating associated with it at all. You're allowed to do that. But the schools are, you know, more inclined to admit your kid when you do that. Yeah. So here, people were doing some other shady dealings, including bribing coaches to say that they were recruiting the student for water polo when they were in fact not <laughs> mm-hmm. or some cheating on the SA, uh, ACT apparently bribing proctors to let students cheat on the ACT uh, in some cases without the students even knowing was kind of funny to me where the kids just like thought they had done really well on the exam. Yeah. But actually it was mom paying <laughs> 200 and fifty thousand dollars or whatever to get a cheated a cheat else a cheat ACT score in there. Yeah. Anyway, we I don't think did you see any of it that was directly tied to law schools? I didn't think see anything that was directly tied to law schools. Although there is uh, one aspect of it that I think is related to what we've talked about a lot, and that is the accommodations part. Did you hear about that? Yes. Why don't you say a little bit about that? Yeah. So, what were they doing? They were paying these psychologists to write up letters that would get them accommodations for their tests so they could have longer time to take the tests. We've definitely talked about psychologists that do that, but I think in this case they were specifically being bribed to write up those letters. So, Well, it's a fine line between bribed and just they charge a very yeah. expensive price <laughs> yeah. for what their is fancy the right? Beverly Hills service where – 
they've never gotten denied before when they write any of these letters. Yeah. You know, I mean, what, well, I don't know. These days you don't even need to do that with the LSAT, right? These days, accommodations on the LSAT, uh, they're just giving them out to everybody. So I don't think you really need to pay thousands of dollars to get that recommendation. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to think about it, but this is the concerns that we've heard from listeners before, right? Like cost, whatever it costs, you're, they have an incentive to say, yep, you've got a problem. The psychologists do. Yeah. Yeah. And shocker, the rich are continuing to get richer. I mean, that's always going to be the case, right? They pay us so much money for LSAT prep and it definitely helps. So, you know, what else is new? Um, the world is definitely not fair, but it, it does seem that the FBI at least wants to put some restrictions on how crazy you can get with uh, the bribery. It was a total of like $25 million that went funneled through this guy mm-hmm. to all sorts of shady coaches and test proctors and all sorts of different stuff. So it was funny to see hundreds of people get uh, indicted. Yeah. Today on the show, uh, we are going to do an LSAT fundamental on what to do with two weeks left before the LSAT. The air date for this show will be March 18th, so that's going to be 12 days before the official March LSAT, and we're going to give some thoughts about what to do, um, basically tapering off your studies, or planning at least to taper off your studies uh, as your official date arrives We have an email update from Canada. We have a horror story about a delayed application, which is shockingly similar to my horror story about my delayed application uh, to Hastings way back in the day. Um, We also have a question about when to take the LSAT. We got a Pearl versus Turd. All the usual good stuff. Anything else you want to talk about at the top of the show, Ben, before I go into these events? Nope. Upcoming events, uh, March 30th is the test day for most test takers. April 14th, Ben and I will be at UVA at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, What's that talk going to be about, Ben? Uh, Changes in the LSAT in 2019 and anything else that people want to ask about. Yeah, we have probably 30 minutes that we do on the changes to the LSAT, and then people just ask normal questions about LSAT prep and law school admissions. So we're happy to talk about all that stuff. April 23rd, just save the date. I'll be at Seattle University giving that same talk at 1230 Pacific time. You can always email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. If you're going to send us a question, uh, attach a selfie to that. It's going to increase the chances that you'll get used on the show. Uh, you can listen all sorts of ways. Remember, you can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, thinkinglsat.com. Please leave us reviews on iTunes and everywhere else. It really helps people find us. Uh, what's the latest with the awesome LSAT demon? Well, we are working on it more than ever, <laughs> but the changes are becoming uh much smaller, I think, from the user's perspective. They're more, it's more like fixing up the system so that it works better. So there's definitely a lot of things that we're working on and trying to make it faster. But I would say the things that people will notice is that the font color is now darker. Uh, several people had asked about that, so it should be easier to read. Nice. Also, in the explanation sections, uh, we had not been able to access tests 1 through 18 and uh, tests A, B, and C, but now you can access them. A lot of those tests don't have explanations for reading comp or LR, but they do have 
videos for games from those tests. Those are pretty we old must tests. By now, have every game from one through sixty-one, right? Plus A, B, or C. Pretty much, yeah, and multiple yeah. times. And if not, hit the ask button, and we will get cracking. Yeah, and um, we keep uh, hacking away at the full-length test feature in preparation for the digital LSAT that's coming out in July and really in full force for the September LSAT. So that should be coming out in the next month or so. Awesome. Yeah. I I would like to make a call for more requests for logical reasoning explanations. Um, I, they keep, they come in waves. Uh, but the last few days I haven't really gotten that many requests for new written explanations for LR. So if you see a question in logical reasoning and you would like to like to get a written explanation from me, uh, just hit that ask button and that'll go into my workflow and I will uh, write those. I've been enjoying writing LR explanations again. It's fun. Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, it's fun to see those continue to populate the demon. They're fun to write. And when I am not trying to write a whole book, when I'm just sort of like writing a few of them every day, mm-hmm. I... I'm more inclined to like put a lot of time into them and make them more fun, you know, just be a little sillier with them. And, uh, that's what I like doing the most. So yeah, hit the ask button. That's great. Oh, I was going to say one more thing. Um, we're continuing to refine what happens at the end of a timed section, which is a feature that is now currently working. Um, so you can take a timed game, uh, reading comp or LR section. And at the end, you have a variety of options. One, you cannot see any of the correct answers, so you don't know whether you got it right or wrong. Uh, so you can review the questions that you weren't sure about. You can then reveal which ones you got wrong without seeing what the correct answer is. And then, of course, finally, you can reveal the correct answer, and then you can click on help and get a video or written explanation from me or Nathan. And as Nathan is saying, if there's not an explanation or it's still confusing to you, just hit that ask button. But the point is, is that at the end of the time section, you have a lot of options to review it. It's not like you're just going to be seeing the answers. That's the system can do all that for you and reveal what you want to reveal and keep hidden what you want to keep hidden. Awesome. Yeah. Announcements. Oh, best of thinking else that we should probably talk about. Um, there's a form available on the Facebook page. If you have any favorite moments from the show, that you would like to highlight, just uh, fill out that form. It's on the Facebook group. Um, we have a huge Facebook group, by the way, 1,200 plus folks uh, just at Thinking LSAT on Facebook. We're also on Instagram, so you can find us anywhere you want. Cool. We'll also put that link on thinkinglsat.com. So. Yeah, in the show notes um, for this episode. So great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Should we dive into LSAT fundamentals? We're getting closer to the March 30th LSAT. This advice will all be evergreen, by the way, if it's two weeks before any upcoming LSAT. What, uh, what are you telling your students? Are you talking to your students about anything different this week in class? So fundamentally, no. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're just going to keep doing what they've been doing. I tell people throughout class, like pick a small goal that you can do every day and just make sure to hit that goal. So maybe it's one game a day, maybe it's 10 logical reasoning questions a day or five even, and do that game and learn from it and take concrete notes and figure out what you want to do differently the next time you do a game. And 
in a lot of ways, I feel like that is going to continue right up to the test. Now, there's certainly, I think there's this tendency for people to overdo it, right? Leading up to the test, they're like, oh, I'm going to, I mean, we hear people who say things like, I'm going to take one test a day or something crazy like that. And so I would definitely suggest backing off that. I feel like if you've been prepping the way you should be prepping, not a lot is going to change. I like that. I mean, I, I like the idea of don't change. I also would want to, I think the biggest thing to worry about is just people starting the downward spiral when there's only a couple of weeks left. Mm-hmm. People start to feel that pressure. Mm-hmm. They see it coming on their calendar and they start to, yeah, like you said, Ben, they, they start to do too many tests, maybe too many full tests. They get a score that they're not happy with on a practice test. And then they just immediately hammer another test. Yeah. Without potentially taking the time to really fully review or learn or do anything differently. Mm-hmm. And now they're doing this next test in a stress bubble. Yeah. And if you let that bubble start to inflate, it it then like takes a, on a life of its own, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> what I like to talk to people about with a couple of weeks left is just, Hey, you gotta, you gotta watch out for this because it does happen to so many people, especially anybody who is subject to any kind of test anxiety. Mm-hmm. You have to take the power away from the test by, I don't know. You just kind of got to put it in its place. Yeah. You you can't let it overtake your life. I, I, I guess in college people learn to like cram for exams and cram for projects and stuff. Mm-hmm. Papers, write them at the last minute type of thing, you know? Yeah. That's not the best way to prepare for the LSAT. <laughs> if you haven't started preparing yet for the LSAT, you know, it's, it's probably too late. Could you imagine somebody with like just two weeks left? (laughs) You know, maybe they signed up for a class, but like didn't do any of the homework ever. And they've got some books, but they haven't really cracked them. Yeah. Like, is it, are you going to be able to do it if you just like crank it out every single day between now and then? I, I don't think so. Yeah. So you have to like prepare, you have to start sending yourself the message that you're ready to take the test. You have to be optimistic. You have to be happy about it. Yeah. And I see it all the time. I've got a couple students who are doing it right now. I've got a private tutoring student who I know is doing a full test every single day. And she's such a great candidate, but she's just melting herself down now because she'll, she'll score real high and then she'll score, you know, back in the one sixties mm-hmm. and she's freaking out over every single data point. Yeah. And it's like exactly what I warned her against. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but she's doing it anyway because, I don't know, she's so type A that she just can't let go of it. Yeah, that's it's very common, especially around here in D.C., a lot of yeah. ambitious you know, future politicians who want to, <laughs> or lawyers on the Hill, and they just want to... They want to do everything they can. And there's this sense that if they're not doing a test, then they're not doing everything that they can. But they're underestimating that 
one of the things that you can do for yourself is to get enough sleep and to get some exercise. Again, don't overdo it there. <laughs> it's like some people have never run in their life and now they're running every day. It's like, okay, just rein it in and make sure you're having enough R&R so that you can be refreshed when you study and be rested when you take the official test. I mean, honestly, in the last week, and we'll get to this next week when we do a like what to do with one week left. In the last week, it's almost like sleep is the most important thing you can possibly do. Yes. I mean, you just have to get yourself into a routine where you're going to wake up on the day of the test rested. And it's not yeah. like you can just only do that the night before the test, right? Yeah. I mean, you could be like Mike. Remember when Mike pounded NyQuil the night before the test and like ended up having a whole meltdown? Yeah. Because he couldn't sleep. It's like, okay, well, let's get into a healthy sleep routine um, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Do you have any tips for that, Ben, for, for sleep routine? I, I know you said you've been working out harder and that's been helping you sleep. And obviously that'll work. What else? Um, I do think it's very valuable to go to sleep when you're tired. Uh, a lot of times I think that people can <laughs> like have certain expectations like, oh, I typically go to bed at 10 or 11 and then it's like you're tired at nine. You should call it a day and go to bed. It's like, yeah. oh, I got to finish this thing. No, you're tired. Take advantage of that. And if you're not tired at some time, then, well, you should turn off all your devices, but so you're not looking at some blue light and keeping yourself awake, but maybe you shouldn't get in bed until you've chilled out a little bit and can fall asleep. And you know what people do that's 100% wrong mm. is they they are tired and they should go to sleep, but then instead they study the LSAT. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I can't, I have to, I, I have, it's on my, it's on my study schedule that I'm going to do two timed sections today and I've only done one and it's, I'm exhausted. It's, it's 10 PM after a long day, but I have to do this section before I go to sleep. Yeah. There's no way that that's the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You should go to sleep. Sleep's weird. I went last night. I was like, I'm, I'm just back home off of the road for, you know, I was on probably just hotels for like the last four days in a row, but I finally got home and I was binge watching. I've been binging game of Thrones, trying to catch up before the you know new stuff comes out next month. Yeah. The final season. And, um, I was planning to watch like two or three or four episodes cause I'm trying to catch up, but I watched one and I was like, just finding myself sleepy and it was only like 10 PM. And I was just like, fuck it. Went to bed, mm -hmm. turned off my phone, just went to bed and then just slept for a solid 11 hours. Oh my God. It's like, yeah. It's like, well, I think you maybe needed it then, dude. You've been on the road. You've been doing too many different things in too many different places. You've been sick a little bit. Yeah. Your body was telling you you were tired. Yeah. Go to sleep. The, the shutting off devices thing, I think, is also super, super important. I've, I've been noticing for myself that if I, if I just turn off my phone... Mm -hmm. I'll be finding sleep soon, much, much sooner than I would have if I would have left my phone on. Yeah. You leave your phone on and you just like keep looking at your text messages, keep looking at your emails, keep looking at Twitter. 
you know, that checking, checking, checking thing. And then the bright light is just blasting you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) So I imagine even for our students, it's probably even worse because they're, they're just so used to these devices. You know, they live on their phone all day, every day. Yeah. No, it's like you, you just have to turn your phone off and actually put it in a different room because if it's in your pocket, it's over. Right. Yeah, or across the room if you're using it as an alarm clock or something. Mm-hmm. I, I think across the room is okay, but you want to like turn the alerts off except for sort of emergency phone and stuff. Yeah. And you want to just make sure it's not vibrating and flashing and trying to get your attention. And then, you know, reading in bed, man, that's a that's a killer. That that might be the reason why I'm so good at the LSAT, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's because I always, as a kid and in even in high school and college and beyond, I had a just habit of always reading in bed. Yeah. Get in bed and read. And these days it's tempting to get in bed and like fuck around on Twitter. But that's not healthy and <laughs> it's just not going to be good for your sleep and everything else. Yeah. So get your brain operating at full capacity by get some sleep. I wanted to talk about the anxiety that people feel toward the test. You mentioned this earlier, the, uh, the two weeks before, you know, they see the test coming and they start to feel anxious. And I think that for most people, that anxiety comes from the fact that they have this idea in their head that they have to do well on the LSAT. And we've said it a thousand times, the better you do, the more scholarship money you can get and so on. But you you do have to put a full stop on that thought and and think for a half second. Like there's so much in this world where we think that we know what we want, but we actually don't, right? Like you're you're going into this test and you're thinking I have to do well or I'm not going to get money and go to law school or I'm not going to get into the school that I want or I'm going to have to wait a year and try again later or I'm going to have to take the LSAT again in two months, and I don't want to do that. And so because you're putting all this, like, have to, have to, have to (laughs) pressure on yourself, then there is a sense, like, if I'm not scoring where I want to score, then I might not score on this test in two weeks, and therefore all these serious consequences are going to happen. But these, these, quote, serious consequences may be the best thing that ever happens to you. You really don't know that. You have to understand that going in there and failing may be really good for so many reasons. First, maybe you don't go to law school and that is the best decision of your life and you don't realize that for another 10 years. Yeah. Second, you may go to school a year later and meet the love of your life. You won't know that for five years. (laughs) Yeah, You fail the test, you feel incredibly miserable and dejected, and there is no other way to become a better person than, a, than going through that. You yeah. might have to go through that to become resilient, right? Like, sometimes we just have to go through shit to become not stressed out about a bunch of other stuff in our life. And you may look back at your LSAT experience and say, I'm so glad I went through that because now I don't care about these other things. And before I used to 
freak out about all sorts of stuff. I mean, that's just kind of like life. But the point is, is that it's so easy, not just for the LSAT, but for a whole host of things to assume that XYZ has to happen. Otherwise, I will be unhappy or miserable. And it may actually be a very good thing that happens to you, even though right now you think it's absolutely bad. A hundred percent. I mean, I could give examples. You know, I, I have, I've had students recently tell me like students who have returned to my class after a, like a long absence, you know, sometimes you get people coming back five years later. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had students telling me like, wow, you're so much, um, you're like nicer now. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I am because I've mellowed out a little bit as I've gotten older. And one of the reasons why I've mellowed out as I've, and, and and become sort of more open to people and just, I'm, I'm more into people now. One of the reasons is because I had my like horrific back surgery shit that happened four or five, you know, three, four years back where I was like absolutely miserable and suffering and thought I was going to die. And then you come out of that on the other side and you just have a different perspective for everything really. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, there's a million other examples. This shit happens all the time. The older you get, the more you realize how much change is possible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you've seen more change over your lifetime. So like just sort of by definition, older people have seen more change. And as you get older, you'll realize like, Oh wow. All this stuff that I thought was true was just temporary and and that that changed the mm-hmm. you will change the things you want will change yeah and so yeah you just sort of have to learn to be comfortable with uh ambiguity yeah i i, I don't know i guess what i want to say is that you need to get in your head that it's okay to go into that test and completely fail that might be the best thing that ever happens to you and Ironically, the more you open yourself up to that belief, that idea that it's okay to go in there and bomb, the more likely you are not to do so, (laughs) right? Because the more you're like, okay, it's not a big deal. It's okay to go in and fail, try again, and or go down a different path because that's what's best for me. And then you're not as stressed out. So then when you go take it, you're focusing on the questions and not finishing the section or how poorly you did on the previous section. And therefore you're more likely to do better. So I, if people are taking, you know, like one more practice test this coming Saturday or whatever, yeah, they need to practice doing that on their practice test. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I'm always yelling at people about treat your official tests as if they were just practice tests. Yeah. But maybe people need to start treating their practice tests as if they're just practice tests. Yeah. Like at least having that mindset of, you know, it's totally okay if I go in and bomb, it's just a learning experience. Mm -hmm. I've been working hard on the LSAT. Yeah. I would love it if I have a great outcome. Sure. But there is no downside to this. I go in there and completely crash and burn there's always another test coming. Yeah. And if I don't make it to law school this cycle, there's always another cycle behind that. And who knows what kinds of wonderful things will happen to me if I do end up waiting another cycle. Yeah. 
we hear people all the time say that they, you know, applied late, didn't get into the places where they wanted to go and they were like real disappointed. And then they retake the LSAT with a higher score and apply at the beginning of the next cycle and end up getting like a super great deal. Yeah. That's exactly what you're talking about. Of could have been the best thing that ever happened to you was that you crashed and burned on this test. Yeah. So maybe that's, I've never really thought about that before. I think I've always told people to treat their practice test as if they were real, Mm -hmm. but maybe what I really should be doing is saying, Hey, they're all just practice tests. Life. It's a game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Life is a practice test. I mean, it's all just a game and you should be happy and just comfortable and in your own skin instead of always wanting some something different, you know, or like being so attached to specific results. Yeah. Yeah. Just the surest way to crash and burn is to try to get a 178 or whatever. Like you, you try to get a 180 and it's like always going to fuck you. Mm-hmm. But if you go in there and just like, Oh, I don't know. Uh, these questions are easy. It's good. It's good. Like this test is a kind of an easy, fun little game I get to play. All I have to do is just be careful one at a time and just get them right. And then next thing you know, you get a fine score that's like reason, reasonably in your range. Yeah. Well, one thought is I, I think there's a lot of value in having a goal and working toward that goal, but also recognizing that most goals almost always take way longer to achieve than we expect. It's just a universal thing, right? People go to work in the morning and they're like... <laughs> I'm going to finish this project today. And then it's like two days later, they're like finally wrapping up the project. Like, damn, that took a long time. That's okay. You want to work towards something, but recognize that it may take longer than you expect. And you just keep hacking away at it. Um, I heard someone say this the other day, it was in some podcast and the person said that life is just a bunch of reps. And I was like, yes, that is so true. You're just, you just have to do the next rep. You don't have to do the whole freaking exercise, but if you do that, then you're ready and able to do the next one after that. And if you keep going, eventually you turn around and you're like, holy smokes, I've done a lot of stuff. Even if it didn't happen overnight or as fast as you had initially hoped. Yeah, totally. So, you know, you, you treat the LSAT as just the beginning of, you know, a very long journey as a lawyer Mm -hmm. and you just start acting like a lawyer while you're doing the LSAT, which is uh, lawyers are just calm and patient and they're going to just do the work. They're going to be careful. They're going to read carefully Mm -hmm. and they're going to like figure things out and they're going to arrive at their correct answers. Yeah. And that's how you have to be behaving as you do your practice LSATs. Yeah. It's like, this is kind of a tangent, but people all the time are saying, you know, like they're not happy with their reading comprehension performance and they want to know why they're not doing, you know, why aren't my scores improving on the reading comp? And it's like, well, how many questions did you attempt? All of them. Okay. You attempted all of them and you got 20 points. Um, well, <laughs> that's not lawyerly behavior. <laughs> behavior. <laughs> it, it's not, it's just, yeah. you're not, you're not acting like a lawyer. I don't know what you're doing, but yeah. this is like not what a lawyer would do. If this is the beginning of your legal career, you're not, you, you can't do 28 questions and miss eight of them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a lawyer. You, you have to take it more seriously. 
Yeah. And I don't mean like hold on to the steering wheel super tightly. I just mean you have to read more carefully. And if that means you don't make it to the end of the section, so be it. But you're just not allowed to like pick wrong answers. You have to sort that shit out. You have to figure it out. Yeah. And the same goes for when you're done with the tests, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. C's a better fit. That's not lawyer. <laughs> That's not lawyer shit. It's a better answer. Oh, you mean after you've missed that question? Yeah. 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 And they go back. Oh, and, I see. C's just a better fit. I see. Yeah. And let's move on to the next one. I hate, <laughs> I, sorry, I shouldn't, <laughs> I don't know that I hate, but it does, it does evoke feelings of displeasure um, when people are like, yeah, yeah, I see. I'm like, I don't know that you do. And I'm not like, I'm not mad about it, but you're hurting yourself. Ultimately, that's what it is. Because it's like you're moving on and you're lying to yourself. And you don't realize it. I don't think this is intentional by any means. It's just like, yeah, I see. And I know that in the vast majority of cases, people don't because I just ask them. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, what what exactly makes it a better fit? Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like vague, vague, vague. Mm-hmm. No, you haven't said anything. So, you know, and and that lawyers don't do that. They can't do that in front of the judge. They get reamed, right? Well, yeah, this case is just closer to the other one. <laughs> yeah, what evidence do you have for that assertion? I don't want just your conclusion. I want the evidence to support that. Like, show me the words on the page that that justify this is a better fit. Why is it a better fit? Well, why is that one a bad fit then? Mm-hmm. And why is this one a better fit? Because of the words, yeah. not just because of your conclusion, but because of the actual words. Yeah. I mean, the thing I'm, the thing I think we're both talking about is just that the LSAT makes perfect sense. I mean, the questions make perfect sense. Maybe there's one or two where the correct answer is not super satisfying. Yeah. Because it's like you've got <clears throat> you've got a problem with the correct answer where it's like, yeah, but this, I mean, that doesn't have to be, must be true because of this. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's still the best of the five. But the other like 97 or 98 questions on the test, they really do make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a reason why the right answer is right and there are reasons why the wrong answers are wrong. And so if you're reviewing, you know, you just shouldn't be missing very many of the ones you attempted Because if you missed ones you attempted, that just means you didn't make it make sense. I mean, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you were just like not reading that answer carefully enough or you were not reading the argument carefully enough. Because if you were, you wouldn't, you know, you you just picked an answer that just literally does not answer the question. Yeah. And I mean all this as like, I, I think every, for everyone, no matter what your level, the LSAT should be easy for you. Right? Like the first 10 should be easy for you, for everyone. You, if you take your time with them, you should just be able to like reason through them, figure out the right answer. Uh, if not, you're just never going to be successful on the test. So there's no point like skimming the surface. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe people are not taking this this way, but I mean all this as sort of encouragement for the, for the day, for the test day. Like if you're doing it right, you should go in there and just, they should all just sort of make sense. Not, not to say that they're going to, going to be like 
easy on the surface. There, there could be some unfamiliar language. There could be some convoluted sentences. I mean, there certainly will be. But you can make sense of it one question at a time, and then you can really understand why the right answers are right and why the wrong answers are wrong. I think what this comes down to, and correct me if this is not what you're saying, but I feel like if you think about the test as a bunch of questions, there's 100 questions. And in the logical reasoning section, for example, there's about 25 questions. And those questions can then be broken down into individual sentences. A typical logical reasoning question has like three or four sentences in the passage and then a few sentences for each answer choice maybe. And then it's like, if you're getting that question wrong, most likely it means that you read one of those sentences incorrectly and did not understand it or make it underst- you know, understandable on a gut level. And if you had it would have made sense because that's basically what you and I are doing when we're explaining things to people. We're like, well, what is this really saying? It's saying this and then it's saying that. That's weird, right? And everybody's like, yeah, that's weird. It's like, oh, so the answer is B, yes. And everybody's <laughs> on board. You're just not doing that. You're waiting for us that's, to do that. Yeah, that's when the students go, oh, you know, they'll, they'll say, hey, can you do number 13? And then I'll read the argument and then they'll go, oh, I got it. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, that's because I read it with interest. I read it with engagement. I, I raised an eyebrow when they said something that I wasn't sure about. You know, mm-hmm. I stopped after the first sentence and thought about it. I stopped after the second sentence and tried to combine those two together. And then all I have to do is just sort of like read my way through the argument, reason my way through the argument, and then you already know the answer? Well, okay, you got to just start doing that for yourself. Yeah. And and I'm guessing that the sentences are basically going to fall into two categories. One is sentences that you can, with effort, decode yourself. You can unpack them and make them into plain English. You can turn around and tell that sentence to your middle school niece, and she will understand what you're saying, even if she's not familiar with uh, black holes. Or neutron right, stars. Right. You can be like, well, right. yeah, it's this big thing and it's in space and it's doing this. And it's like, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. And great aunt <laughs> or aunt who is great. Um, but then there are the other sentences, which are ones that you try as hard as you can and you're still like, WTF, I don't know what that's saying. It's abstract and I need help. But my guess is that there are a lot more sentences that fall into the first category, sentences that you can understand if you try. And for the ones that you don't understand, no matter how hard you try, then yeah, get help, figure those out, and then try again. And you will get better at them. The more you try at the ones you can, the more sentences will unlock, right? The more sentences will fall out of that second category and into the first, into sentences that you can now decode and figure out what they mean. And once you know what they mean, it's downhill from there. There is logic that's tested, but that's usually pretty easy to understand. Not only that, but ultimately, if you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be the person who reads and understands everything. You just refuse not to not understand, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, you're going you're gonna to have to get used to the fact that you're going to be reading stuff that on, 
you know, first look at it. Yeah, it's tough, but it's easier for you than it is for every non-lawyer. You're the lawyer. That's why they hired you. Yep. So your job is to sort this shit out. You don't, you don't get to just skim the surface and not get it. Yeah. That's not, that's not a lawyer. That's, uh, you know, that's like malpractice to get back to the like last two weeks thing. I think you need to, to, to just get increasingly more comfortable with that, that it's not about the time. It's, it's not about trying to finish the sections. It's not about 180. It's about cleaning up the little mistakes. People keep telling me like, I just, I just keep making little mistakes. Why am I doing this? It's like, I don't know, but I would fire you if you worked for my law firm and you did that. (laughs) So, you know, maybe stop that shit. Yeah. It's (laughs) what, what were we going to say? Oh no. Yeah. Slow, slow down and just make sure you, I, I pause after every sentence. I think I say that in class and people don't get it because I say it and then I'm doing it with one-on-one tutoring or something and someone just keeps reading. It's like, whoa, wait, 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 wait stop, 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 stop. Oh, every time, go, consistently. Go Did you, I understood that first sentence. Okay, what's it saying? And then they try to turn around and say it to their middle school or niece and it's like, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I know what it says, so I know what you're trying to say, but I'm not following you. And most sentences, when you decode them, become super short sentences that are several sentences, right? Like, there's this guy. He wants to buy a store. The store is too expensive. Like, our primal brains, (laughs) our gut-level brains speak in short, simple ideas. and But that's okay, because when you do that, then you're like, oh, I see what's wrong with here, because this guy just tried to jump from here to here. And that's a problem. You go a tiny, tiny bit too fast and you just don't, you don't, you're not going to have it. You don't got it. Yep. And, and Ben and I are both, um, you know, we have the ego, I guess, to just take our time and read it carefully and make it make sense. And yeah, paraphrase, predict what you're going to read next. Try to put the pieces of the puzzle together because that's basically the answer to the question. Yeah. I guess that's what I want people thinking about with two weeks left any anything uh, else we, we said need a to... lot about the, the test yeah for two weeks i would the last thing i would want to say is that you know uh going back to this idea of even if you go into that test whether it's a practice test or the official test and you bomb it and you know all your dreams and hopes don't happen the way you thought that they would you are fully capable of overcoming whatever that outcome is like <laughs> people are so much more capable of overcoming adversity than they realize in part because we try to avoid challenges or, uh, you know, things that we don't want. But the reality is a lot of those things are just forced upon us in life. And then when they, when they happen, you see people who deal with them and they're like, well, I didn't think I was capable of dealing with the loss of my son or whatever it is, you know, that happens, but they get through it. So it's like, you're going to take a test. You may not get the score you want. You are fully capable of getting through that and so much more. So it's okay. That's a good point. I mean, looking back, you know, for when to when I was 21 or 22 or whatever, it's like literally nothing that happened to me in my 20s mattered in the long run. 
for my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like nothing. You could have thought it was like super important. I ended up doing stuff that I never, ever in a million years would have imagined I would do. I mean, just like multiple degrees and just different careers and trying things and sucking at them. And then all of a sudden, all this technological change happened that I never could have predicted. You know, like mm-hmm. we went to college in the days where the internet was ba- barely even existed, right? Yeah. Now we're like purely doing online businesses. And None of that stuff. I mean, sure, there are major life markers like getting married, having kids, um, you know, losing people that are close to you. Of course, you know, those things can have lasting effect um, or, or, you know, or making friends that you end up keeping for the rest of your life. But there's so many of these little things that you think are the be all end all most important thing determining moment in the in your whole future. (laughs) There's just a lot more randomness and a lot more change than you think there is. And especially one LSAT test. It's just, (laughs) it's just nothing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So whatever happens, you're capable of dealing with it and you'll either keep going or you'll with the LSAT and law school, or maybe you go in a different direction. It doesn't matter. You'll get through it. It'll be you fine. have to embrace, yeah. You have like you almost you have to embrace the f- the possibility of failure in order to give yourself the best chances of success, right? Mm-hmm. You stand up comics go on stage just knowing that they will sometimes brutally bomb. Yep. In, in fact, like they go out and almost try to bomb. Yeah. Because they're working on new stuff, it's like I wonder if I could get away with like this crazy thing. And it, yeah, it has a real good chance of being a complete failure, but so what? Nobody remembers. Nobody was there that night. Nobody, nobody cares. Like, and man, the LSAT, there is nobody who gives a shit about your LSAT score other than you. (laughs) Like, it's just not, it's not a thing. I mean, I know your parents are rooting for you and everything, but they don't care about it nearly as much as you care about it. And by the way, you can take it again. Yeah. Cool. Great. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. So this email, um, it came to you. You want to read it? Sure. Hello, Ben. I'm not sure if you remember me, but I was a Canadian student who enrolled in your July 2018 prep class a bit late. Okay. I've been a loyal listener of the podcast throughout my undergrad, so that is how I found Strategy Prep. I got some fantastic news yesterday, and I thought you might want to hear I thoroughly prescribe the don't pay to law school, don't pay for law school mantra, but getting scholarships for law schools in Canada can be difficult. Canada has around 10 English law schools and tuition is already fairly cheap to begin with. Even in undergrad, it's rare for tuition to be completely covered by scholarships. I still don't want to pay anything because I've gotten through my undergrad completely on scholarships and I'd rather not spend the money I've spent saved for tuition. Great. I love it. I've researched schools and found the best fit for me, but this school, wait, I would have researched schools and found the best fit for me, but this school is one of the few in Canada that averages your LSAT scores. Consequently, the typical advice of just keeping, keep taking the exam until you're happy with your score wouldn't work for me. So I decided I would just make sure my practice tests were above where I needed to be So even my average score would still be fantastic. Okay. Sounds like a good plan for a school that actually averages. I wonder if that's true. 
but maybe it is in Canada. Who knows? I don't think they do the U.S. News and World Report rankings, so maybe they do their own way there. Yep. Through taking your class, I got the structure that I desperately needed and even hit a practice test high of 177. I did well on the July 2018 LSAT, decided to cancel my September registration, and applied early this cycle. I got admitted in the first round, and I just got notified yesterday that my tuition will be almost completely covered by scholarships. I still have a few other scholarships to apply for, so I'm anticipating that my tuition will be completely covered by scholarships. You made the LSAT learnable, and I can't thank you and your team enough for this. Thank you again. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I guess bottom line is in Canada, you might have to average for some schools. And it might just be harder to get scholarships because they don't charge outrageous sums <laughs> for tuition. Jeez. I mean, it's like, it's a charge, joke, but it's yeah, criminal. It's pricing. so obviously true. Yeah. It's just obviously true. Look at the 509 reports. They're charging $55,000 a year tuition, but they're giving like 80% of the class discounts. Well, it's because of those scholarships that they have to charge the outrageous tuition to begin with. Yeah. So that's the game we're playing in the U.S., like it or not. That's the game. And Canada, being a more civilized version of the United States, is deciding not to do that. You know, good on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but here in the U.S., it's still a, uh, you know, <laughs> winner-take-all, rich-get-richer <laughs> style of uh, operating. And I don't know. It's just – anyway, great to hear that uh, even in Canada, you can get law school paid for with a stellar LSAT. Makes sense. I mean, you're a great candidate. Like, you're going to be an asset to your school. So why wouldn't they let you go there for free? Yeah. Not sure if you've heard of the Canadian Law Student Forums, lawstudents.ca, but I would recommend mentioning it on the podcast because it's been a great resource for admissions and information for each school. Okay. So if you're in Canada, lawstudents.ca might be a good place. Yeah. Caveat, we have not looked at it. And caveat two forums generally just are <laughs> tend to have lots of nonsense and bad advice. So I, I don't, uh, hopefully it's not the case in Canada. Uh, again, Canadians are a lot nicer than Americans. So, you know, they're probably on there just being super friendly and helpful to each other. Yeah. Um, next one. Yeah, let's do it. It says, hi, Ben and Nathan. Thanks a lot for your show. I came across it recently and have become a regular listener. I wanted to get your thoughts on a situation I am facing my application to my top choice law school, a top six. (laughs) I wonder if we can peg exactly what school that is when they say it's a top six law school. Probably top like three. (laughs) No, probably tied for fifth. Isn't that exactly what happens yeah. that they, the people that are, I think the schools that are tied for fifth, that's the only people that would say they are top six. <laughs> so we could probably narrow this down to two, to two schools if we wanted to look at the rankings, but yeah. I don't. Yeah. Also, this brings up, Ben, did you get a chance to look at that David Fagman email that I forwarded you? No. Okay. We have to talk about this on the next episode. This is the chancellor and Dean of UC Hastings. Yeah. Who writes the hilariously long winded and just holy shit. Is it a bunch of lies? Basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's facts, but it's facts that are set up in a way to lie. Yeah. And and it's also a whole bunch of conclusions, you know, but he does a couple of those things where it's like, we're ranked in the top 31 
for this and that. Mm. <laughs> Top 31, Ben. <laughs> I wonder what number that is. <laughs> anyway. That's hilarious. Um, okay. We got to read that email because it's just, he's my favorite comedy writer. It's unintentional comedy, but it, it is comedy. Oh my so gosh. We gotta, His we writing gotta get is that so verbose. It is. It's terrible. It's in a million ways, but then like his ideas also are just like, it's just so sleazy. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's just like, so obviously lying. I mean, cause the purpose of the email was to complain, was to uh, basically acknowledge that Hastings ranking in us news has fallen once again, of course, because it's like free falling in the us news rankings. Yeah. And so, and we've talked about reasons why, including their bar passage rate is below the state average. But anyway, um, this email is, it's, uh, it's hilarious about, you know, here's all the things we're doing. We are transforming our law school to become, you know, we are cutting edge <laughs> and also our ranking fell again. And <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's hide that detail in my verbose explanation yep. of all this other yep. stuff. Yeah. Wait till you see it. You're going to love it. Um, Okay. Anyway, back to this, uh, email. So my application to my top choice law school, a top six has been stalled since I applied nearly two months ago. Why? After multiple unsuccessful email follow-ups to the admissions office a couple weeks ago, I finally plucked up the courage to call the office directly and was told that there had been an administrative issue preventing my application from going complete. They said they would resolve it promptly and put a note on my app about the delay. My sense is that they did not request my credential assembly service report from LSAC on time for some reason. In any case, the issue has still not been resolved and the clock is ticking for this admission cycle. At this point, any advantage from me submitting my application early ish that was at the start of November has essentially been wiped out. Do you have any suggestions on how I should respond? Is this just bad luck, which I need to accept? Or should I be pushing my case more strongly with the admissions office? Thanks in advice uh, in advance for your advice. Best Matt. Hmm. So that sucks. That does suck. So is this just bad luck, which I need to accept? Or should I be pushing my case more strongly with the admissions office? I guess the first question I would want to know is what is your case? You need them to resolve it, I guess, first and foremost, right? This issue has not been resolved. In other words, they don't have a complete file for you. If they don't, they can't review your application. I guess I would call them and just ask them, what do you guys need to do? And when do you think that will happen? It's a very fair question. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, right. So I don't think this is an either or. I do think... It is bad luck, which you need to accept. <laughs> and. <laughs> and there's no reason not to call them again. I, I mean, the one thing I would point out for our listeners, it's kind of like too late for you, Matt, but you shouldn't really be afraid to be calling people if they don't follow up to your emails. Um, some people are just bad at their jobs. Yeah. And I think you can be in the administration or the admissions office of a, even a top six law school and be bad at your job. And so it sounds like there, somebody there dropped the ball on your application and then you sent a bunch of emails and they didn't get those. And the, I guess the takeaway for future applicants is apply even earlier if you can, and then don't be afraid about 
following up to people, you know, you're, you're going to have to be the one that's going to push it in some cases. Yeah. Like if you, okay. So we're talking to everyone right now because Matt, obviously you can't do this, but if you, Matt had called, you know, after a month and you were concerned, you could just say, Hey, I just wanted to make sure my application is complete. Um, I know you probably had no idea to even think of this, but if you don't hear from a school, it doesn't hurt to email them. If they don't respond, just pick up the phone. And it's all about being nice, right? They don't want people annoying them and asking them all sorts of things. Hey, is my application complete now? And then a week later, calling again and so forth. You need to be smart and reasonable. But if you feel like it's been a long time, just say, hey, is it complete? Yes, it is. We're considering it. Oh, do you know when it's likely to be considered? No, we don't know, but probably in the next month. Or if they don't know, press them a little harder. What you need to press them on here is, okay, has it been resolved? No, it hasn't. What needs to be done? Because whoever needs to do it needs to have a clear idea of what needs to be done because apparently yeah. it's not happening. And then just you say, You could even uh, say, hmm. is there anything I can do to help? Sure, you can like, turn this into a nice thing. Can you explain mm-hmm. it to me? Would I, is there a way I could help? If it, would it help if I called the LSAC? Or yeah. Can you tell me a little more about what's going on with this administrative issue? Mm-hmm. I'm just... Be nice. Yeah, just say, I'm just trying to understand. Just, that's all. There's, no one can argue with that. And no one can argue with exactly what you're saying, Nathan. I agree 100%. How can I help? You, there may be nothing that you can do, but maybe there is. And they might try to, to send you away again with like, oh, no, it's just an administrative issue. I think you can, you're, you can ask that follow-up. Oh, well, what, what type, you know, can you, can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on? Is, you know, maybe there's a phone call I could make or. Yeah. <laughs> do you have an idea? Like, can you give me, a, is it going to be resolved today or tomorrow? The other thing is you can call LSAC, ask them how this works. Everybody should call LSAC all the time. Yeah. <laughs> They're good on the phone and you can get shit done. Yep. This reminds me of my own personal horror story. Yeah. When I applied to not as enough law schools um, and I applied too late in the cycle because uh, I was an idiot in 2007 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I got an email. I had applied to USF, Golden Gate, and Hastings. That's it. Yeah. It was the only three schools I applied to because yeah. I wanted to ride my bike to school because <laughs> I was an idiot. And <laughs> I just didn't know what I was getting myself yeah, into. Yeah. You know, like it was just such a dumb plan for me to go to law school. But anyway, I I um, got an email from, from Hastings in like March saying, as you know, your application to UC Hastings College of the Law remains incomplete. As you know. Yeah. I was like, what? Has their lying just been from the very beginning? (laughs) Yeah. I should have known. I, so I applied, I had applied like two months earlier and I got this, as you know, your application remains incomplete. And so I just like called them immediately and I was like, Hey, what? I applied two months ago. What do you mean it's incomplete? And it turns out that there had been a fuck up. Well, multiple fuck ups. Yeah. So LSAC sent them two letters of the same letter of recommendation, two copies of the same letter of recommendation instead of one copy each of two different letters of recommendation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a fuck up on the credential assembly service side. Yeah. And then the Hastings administration fucked up even further because they just marked my application as incomplete and didn't tell me. Jeez. <laughs> 
and and, and then they finally did within as you know. <laughs> and so I immediately got on the phone to LSAC and said, what happened? And they said, oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. We sent them two copies of the same letter. Yeah, we'll fix that. Hmm. I'm like, thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. So I called back admissions and said, hey, here's what happened. It was an LSAC mistake. They're going to send you another copy or they're going to send you a copy of the other letter mm -hmm. that's been just sitting there in my file for so long. And so then it, then my my application got resolved very quickly after that. Yeah. But I made a big mistake, though, then mm. because I should have accepted this bad luck and reapplied at the beginning of the next cycle. Mm. And instead... I just took it and ended up going to law school with not nearly enough scholarship money. And it was a big, big mistake I financially. Hear I hear you. So, I, I mean, that's my advice for Matt, I think. <laughs> like, hey, if it ends up that this fucks you, just don't let it totally fuck you. Instead, just say, oh, well, sorry that this happened. I guess I'll see you again in September. Yeah. With, with a fresh application. Yeah. And, you know, it's their fault. So if, you know, like just what I don't, don't let them use this as like negotiating leverage against you. Yeah. Where they admit you, you know, they put you on the wait list now and then they admit you and make you pay full price and you start feeling like they don't really want you, but this is the best you're ever going to get. And so you just, okay, I'll take your offer and pay you full price. Yeah. Hopefully we don't go that route. Um, you know, all that bad luck is just water under the bridge and there's nothing you can do about it. I think you should return to the don't pay for law school. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and just whatever happened. I mean, whatever, like who cares? Yep. This could be the best thing that ever happened to you because you could reapply at the beginning of the next cycle and who knows what kinds of offers you'll get. Yeah. Including top three schools instead of just top sixes. Yep. You want to do this, uh, Pearls versus turds? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, pearls versus turds. So far, we've had one pearl through the history of the LSAT podcast, or Thinking LSAT podcast. We've had 10 turds and four ties. Hmm, ties comes up quite a bit. This is from, ooh, Mike Kim's The LSAT Trainer. All biconditional statements in the game's sections can be thought of as or situations. The book gives the following example. Fred will be selected if and only if Janice is not. Means exactly the same thing as Fred or Janice, but not both, will be selected. Okay, well that's technically true. This is an interesting example because this is going from positive to negative. Fred will be selected if and only if Janice is not I really like when it says something like Fred will be selected if and only if Janice is also selected. <laughs> and then it's like, look, Fred and Janice are together or, or statement, Fred and Janice are both out. And I like just turning that into an or statement. I don't know that I've seen this, this one very often. Fred will be selected if and only if Janice is not, although that's certainly possible and just as reasonable as the other one just happens to be negative. I think I'd rather be talking about this in terms of worlds instead of in terms of an or statement. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think, yeah, Fred and Janice will be, sol- when I see if and only if that's a common trigger for me to make two worlds in a logic game. Sure. Yeah. One where Fr- Fred so, is selected and one where Fred is not selected. And then but go from there. there's other ways of saying this, mm-hmm. you know, it, it could have said otherwise. Yep. And it could have said this or, but not both. Yeah. So there's many different ways that they can say that. And y- y- yeah, you have to spot it as a a biconditional or an if and only if mm-hmm. or an otherwise, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I'm not that much into the semantics, but my solution would be make two worlds immediately. Yeah. So here Fred will be selected if, and only if Janice is not, I'd make a world where Fred's in and a world where Jan- and that and Janice is out. And then I'd make a world where Janice is in and Fred's out. Yeah. And I'd hope, I would hope that, those then triggered other rules. By the way, if you're confused too by the if and only if, just create a world where Fred is in and a world where Fred is out because those are the, those are two options, yeah. and then deal with one and then deal with the other. Because I'm also worried about people like doing some weird stuff where they're like, "Oh, what about Fred is in and Janice is in or something?" Right. But you can just focus in on one person, create the worlds, and then start seeing what happens from that, right? Worlds, I, I agree with you. Worlds allows people to deal with if-then statements one time and just think about what happens, read the rule, think about what happens, and then write it, and then never think about it again, as opposed to like trying to create some like universal or claim. I'm just getting farther and farther away from ever even writing down rules if I don't have to. Exactly. And so this you know, like turning a bike, turning an if and only if into an or, but not both. I don't know if I don't. Okay. But what are you, let's solve the puzzle here. Yeah. I mean, there's F in J out and there's J in F out and that's your two worlds. And now you're off to the races with a solution to the game instead of just like, let's talk about the technicalities of how we diagram these rules. Yeah. What he's saying here is true. 100%. But that doesn't mean it's a pearl. Yeah, I feel like it's close to our other advice. Like, if Fred is in, then Janice is out. So you say at least one of them is out. Like, we're taking an if-then statement there, and we are turning it into an or statement. I just... um, This particular if-then statement, which he calls biconditionals by initials, that's a name, certainly works. But um, the bottom line is the if and only if statements are stronger than our typical single if-then statements, if Fred is in, the genus is out. And so you can get more from worlds in some ways because you're already yeah. making inferences as soon as you start creating them. I think you turn this into a pearl by saying, Hey, when you see if, and only if, or otherwise, or, or, but not both, Mm -hmm. when you see any of those phrases, you just immediately make worlds, just incorporate that rule into worlds, two worlds. There's a rule where both of the things are true and a world where both of the things are false. Yeah. I mean, and I don't mean positive and negative. I mean, the thing on the left side of the if and only if and the thing on the right side of the if and only yeah. if because things yeah. are either both true or they're both false. Yeah. So it seems like this is a tie, maybe. It really yeah. Is, Again, yeah. it's like there's there's some 
something there, but it's just not, I don't know. I, the, certainly I'm not calling it a like, oh shit, pearl. Well, here's the distinguishing factor, right? We're not going to stand up in class and start saying this. For no, sure. <laughs> definitely not. We're going to stand up in class and say, oh, if you see a biconditional, which by the way is pretty rare. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good to know this stuff, but this is pretty rare. But if you do see one, create worlds. Yeah. I mean, and also like what, what this tip is, this tip is basically saying, hey, these words have meaning and they mean this other thing, which like you could also have just parsed that out for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, it's plain English. You're not used to seeing if and only if, but the, like those that has meaning. So I don't, yeah. So I'm not going to start saying this in class and it does not make me more inclined to recommend the LSAT trainer. Um, but we can give it a tie. Yep. Okay. Last one I think is an email about when to take the test. Okay. Hi, Ben, Nathan and Sarah. My question centers around a possible exception to advice given by the guys. People shouldn't take the official test until they're ready. People shouldn't take gaps between sitting for the test. Can you please help resolve this apparent paradox? <laughs> paradox. It's not question. a paradox. <laughs> ben, you want to resolve it? It is a very simple answer. Um, I have a problem. First of all, people shouldn't take gaps between sitting for the test. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, what is, is that our advice? I'm confused. I say that all the time because here, here's my thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll solve the paradox. Thank you. The paradox is don't take the official test until you're ready. If, if you do that, then I don't think you should take gaps between sitting for the test. Oh, she's saying don't, don't take the March test, skip the June and then take it in July. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. Well, no, yeah, there's no paradox. Once you start the path, when you're ready, <laughs> then you don't take this is, like, this is like a level one uh, explanation question, where <laughs> the explanation is hiding in <laughs> what it is. It's like, no, I mean, if you follow the first side of don't take the official test until you're ready, I mean, the thing that, that, that he or she is missing here is simply that they're not really following the advice to not take the official test until they're ready. They they think that, so here's the deal. Yeah, I agree. Your practice tests, Mm -hmm. yes, your practice tests get up to a level that you're comfortable with, where a number in the middle of that range is a number that you would feel comfortable putting on to your official record. That's when you know you're ready. Yep. Once you get to that point, I don't care what you score on the official test you will always be ready to take the next official test after that one. Or you should be. There's no reason not to. If your practice test scores ever reach a level that you're comfortable with, then you should be able to do that again. Yeah. And so, but people think like, well, no, because my, my practice tests were like averaging 165 and I was happy with that. But then I scored 160 on the actual. So clearly I needed to do do more work first. So I'm going to skip the June test. And yeah. wait for July or September or whatever. Yeah. That's a real bad plan because you're just giving away opportunities to take the official LSAT again and potentially end your LSAT career. Mm-hmm. You, if you were ready for March, you're going to be ready for the next one after that. So that's why we're always giving the advice to like, once you take it officially the first time, you should basically be taking it 
taking all the official tests from that point forward until you achieve a score that's like reflective of your actual ability as demonstrated by your practice tests. Yeah. And yeah, you can still continue to improve between tests, Mm -hmm. but there's just no point skipping a test. If you think now you have to skip a test, well then that's an indication that you weren't actually ready when you took the first one and your practice tests just don't lie. Yeah. Anyway, I think we covered that. I think we did. We'll keep going here because there's lots more. Um, we have a GPA of 3.58 and then it says meh. I mean, that's not that bad. No, it's not that bad. Major in business, minor in econ, graduated in 2011. Oh, okay. So hopefully has some interesting work experiences to talk about on a personal statement. Cold diagnostic in September of 2018 was 142, <laughs> including zero questions attempted in the logic game section because I took one look at it and said, whoa, F this. <laughs> okay. Uh, I find that humorous, although you, you got to try. When people are sitting there in class and we have 10 minutes left in a game and they're like, I just don't know what to do. I'm like, well, can you test like this one answer choice? Not even the question, just the one answer choice. What do you think of the answer choice A? They're like, no. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't get know. that either. How do you think people end up like that? What is that? I've never been like that. You give me a question. I'll never forget this actually. I I was living in San Francisco in like 2001, way before I even thought about law school, but I had a roommate at the time who had gone to UC Berkeley and she was studying for the bar Mm -hmm. and she was like frustrated laying on the floor, looking at her bar exam, multiple choice questions. And she was like, here, let me ask you, Nathan, you do this one or let me give you this one. And I'm like, well, I didn't go to law school. I have no interest in law school. This was way before I ever taught the LSAT or knew anything about it. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, let me see. (laughs) Read the question. It has words. (laughs) It was multiple choice. Uh, I got it right. (laughs) I'm sure it was random luck, right? It was like probably I had no fucking clue what I was doing. and just It was was a level level one paradox question. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is that maybe it's just that easy. Like maybe the words have meaning and you can just sort it out. Yeah. But anyway, I got it right. And she was like shocked. And I don't know. Why are people giving up when they see logic games just because they look funny? You've got 35 minutes. Like, what are you going to do? Well, maybe she was timing herself and she was just like, nah, fuck it. I'll just give myself a zero. I think what they're doing uh, is what we probably all do for all sorts of things is we look at them and we say, Oh, that entire thing, climbing that mountain is very hard. So I'm not going to do any of it, any of it, as opposed to just saying, well, you don't actually have to climb the mountain. You just have to step one step closer to it. And then 20 minutes later, you're like a lot closer. Even when you climb the mountain, you just have to go one thing at a time. Now, one of some of those things may be very hard, but uh, I think we all tend to just, like look at the big goal as opposed to just the next step or rep. Yeah. You should spend all 35 minutes just working on that first game, by the way, if you're just totally stymied by the games, just invest all 35 minutes in trying to get as close as you can to the correct answers for that first game. Yeah. 
And if you can get a few of them right, you're like on the right track. By the way, then you randomly guess on everything else and you get a few of those points too. So <laughs> this cold 142 includes like not even guessing yeah. uh, on the games, which is um, kind of under understating her actual cold diagnostic. Yep. Anyway, um, practice tests leading up to November 160, 156, 155, 160, official November 2018 LSAT 157. So that's right in the range mm-hmm. of possible scores, right? She was hoping to crack 160, but... She also had lower scores in her range, and so she ends up with something right in the middle of her range. That's fine. I'm applying for the 2020 Wait, cycle. Sorry, one thing though here. Why'd you t- only take four tests? Maybe that's her last four, or maybe that's the only four oh, she ever did. Leading up. Okay. Yep. Well, I mean, the also the cold diagnostic was in September of 2018, and then the official November 2018 LSAT. Wasn't that test early in November? I don't remember. Or or mid maybe. Mm. I mean, it certainly wasn't fucking around with Thanksgiving, was it? So she made a lot of progress pretty quickly. Or at least. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. But it, I, th- I also feel like she's totally selling herself short. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's too short of a prep. And it's like, now you're just applying for 2020. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm applying for the 2020 cycle. I, okay. Are you retaking the test? I don't have the stats I need yet. Should I keep taking the test officially until I score in the required range to be a contender for scholarships? My dream school is UCLA. Yeah, those stats are not close to UCLA right now. Don't worry. I'll be applying to many others as well. With my paltry GPA, I need to score around 168 to have a decent chance. Nathan has said he doesn't understand why people have time gaps in their official LSAT scores. Yeah, for reasons we already explained. Yeah, you you just took it too early. If you want to get it, a, if you want to get a one sixty eight, you're probably you were too far away with your highest score being a one sixty. Yeah, you you weren't ready. If UCLA is your dream school, like you need to you need to get some one sixty fives and hopefully some one seventies in your practice test record. Yeah, or you're not going to have any chance of getting into UCLA. With a 3.5. UCLA does love LSAT, though. So, you know, if you get to 170, you're, you're going to give yourself a chance. Hey, I am going to say one thing here, though. I'm glad that she took it officially. Like, she did sure. something, right? Like, so many times we can talk about how it should have been done, but she got out there, sure. she did shit, and now she's learning from it. And so even though maybe she should wait until she takes it again, she knows so much more than people who just sit around doing nothing, right? It's you got to go start. out there and fail. <laughs> and yeah. And they're only going to care about your highest score. And that's not like an embarrassing number or anything. And even if it was, who cares? Mm-hmm. And you, but I mean, I would like her to have taken it again in January and again in March. She's running out of chances before she gets to apply mm-hmm. early for 2020, yeah. right? Yeah. July should be the last one you take if you're going to apply on day one of 2020 cycle. Yep. So she right now, if she's not taking it in March, she only has June and July left, which three these days, three might not be enough. You know, people are taking the test many, many times these days. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get back to her questions here. Um, Oh, I'm registered for the January test. Okay, so this email is a little bit older. I'm registered for the January test and I'm too late to change dates. I don't plan on canceling unless reasonably advised otherwise. Do I wait until my scores are closer to my goal to take the official test again? 
Or do I just keep plowing through and continue and continue shoveling over that cold, hard cash to the LSAC in lush, pillowy $180 increments? <sighs> getting, getting a little fancy on the metaphor there. Cold, hard cash and lush, pillowy. Um, <laughs> Got to pick one there, I think. But anyway, also it's 190 now. Yeah, I, I basically would have said, hey, save your pennies and uh, study hard continue studying hard yeah continue taking the test until you get the score you need yeah even if you take it five times that's still a thousand dollars and we're talking about fifty thousand dollars a year in scholarships so Mm -hmm. it's an investment i mean i started my lsat prep with ben's 100 hour course in september oh oh okay so this This is is one of my students yeah Since that course ended in November, I've been doing timed sections every other day with review on the other days. Plus I do a few bonus questions. If I ever have some extra time, I'm still not perfect on logic games. I tend to miss around six per test. Even if I improve that to minus zero or minus one, I still need to make significant improvements in the other sections as well to come close. Should I retake Ben's class while the online content is still available to me? The plateau struggle feels real. Let me know what you think about the study plan and registering for any subsequent test dates between March and this fall. Thanks for all you to do. Cheers. Caro. Caro? Caro? Say Caro. I don't know. I don't know. Um, So what to do? The plateau struggle feels real. I would focus on how you're reviewing Sometimes people do benefit from coming to class. That kind of just depends on the person, though. Sometimes getting in class and talking to people, showing up, asking questions can help you push through things. But if that is not necessary for you, then I would focus on how you're reviewing your tests because that's probably why you're plateauing. So, And take it in March. Yeah. I'm sorry we got this email so late. I guess we just need to go through these faster or something? Uh, yeah, these are a little, a little late. Um, I mean, we get a lot of emails, so we try to get back to the ones (laughs) that we have that have interesting questions. We're just, you know, some of them are more time sensitive than others. Yeah. Um, and the advice will be evergreen anyway. There's other people that are in similar situations. Yeah. Um, you know, we get so many questions that are like big picture ish, like the question about the plateau, how do I break out of the plateau? Mm-hmm. Why aren't my scores improving? How do I break out of the plateau? Why is my reading comprehension not where it should be? And it's like, well, you, you need to ask a better question. Actually, it's you're not understanding content. There's content. There's, there's questions that you're just not understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you need to bring real LSAT questions to your teacher. Yeah. You know, and, and that might mean watching videos or reading explanations, um, in the demon or in one of our online classes or, or in an in-person class, but you got to ask better questions than just why are my results not where I want them to be? How do I break out of this plateau? Yeah. You've got to deep dive into a question. It's the same thing yeah, we're it, saying for like questions themselves. It's like you got to deep dive into that sentence, unpack yeah. that, and then unpack the next one. Same with your scores. Yeah, when people come to me and they're like, my score dropped last Saturday, what do I do? Or what's wrong? It's like, right. I have no idea. Like, 
did you did you look at the first question you got wrong? Why'd you get it wrong? Did you get it wrong because you don't understand it? Or do you did you just like read it now and it makes 100% sense and so then maybe you were rushing or was someone tapping their pencil next to you and you let that get to your head? Like the, a score is just the composition of 100 questions. And I people can get scores for a whole host of different reasons. Their scores can drop for so many different reasons. And what matters is what happens in each question. Learn something from that and then go to the next question. It's a step-by-step process. Totally. It's like, why am I not rich? (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's look at your income and your expenses and let's talk about ways that we could maybe, you know, (laughs) do you have a plan for like savings or uh, let's talk about your debt. Can we reduce the debt? Can we increase the income? Can we increase the savings? Can we do better with our investments? Yeah. There's, (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's just gotta be, more specific about the process and less about the results. Yeah. It, I, it's funny how often we just guide people through that all the time. Right. But like, I love questions. I, all I want from a student is questions. Yes. But those questions need to be related to the actual content of the LSAT. You have to show me questions or logic games or reading comprehension passages that you don't understand. And then you have to go a step further, which is tell me why you don't understand them. I mean, they make perfect sense to me. I don't know why they doesn't, I don't know why it doesn't make perfect sense to you until you tell me exactly what it is that you don't understand. Yeah. That's what you should be doing when you're reviewing. Yeah. You said something earlier that was interesting. You said taking notes. I mean, are you, I'm, I'm a horrible student, so I've like never taken notes on anything in my entire life, but are, are you suggesting that people take specific, you said specific notes, like actually notes about like this question right here, here's what I didn't understand, or here's what I don't understand. Here's the question that I'm trying to ask. Yeah. So I am saying that to some extent. So here, here's what I, it's good that you're asking. Cause I'm, what I'm really looking for is I want people to look at a question that they get wrong or a question that they weren't sure about. And be able to walk away from that question and explain it to others in concrete terms. And what happens in most cases is when people say it out loud, as we were talking about earlier, and as you know so well, it's like, oh, that answer's a better fit, or that answer doesn't go as well. And it's like, when um, I don't want that, I want something concrete. Like, what word makes it wrong, and why is that a problem? And I find that when people have to underline that word or write that word or note to the side of the question, they're much more likely to write something concrete than they are to write something vague. Like you're more likely to cheat in that process if you're just talking to yourself. Like I don't see a lot of people writing next to the answer that they got wrong. Um, Worse fit. (laughs) Sometimes they do. But when they have to write something, or I don't even like writing myself. Like, I I kind of agree with you on that. It takes time. But underline. Like, underline the phrase that you think where this answer starts to go south. And it's like, people kind of say, like, is it it the word, like, increase? Yeah, it's like, nope. (laughs) I don't know why you thought that word was a problem, but that's not a problem. The passage was talking about increasing. And so at least it's getting them to be more concrete. I guess that's the real goal. And then sometimes they take notes, sometimes they don't. 
You can do this with a study partner, of course. I mean, we both do small group stuff in our classes or partners or whatever in our classes where we ask people to work through their mistakes together and try to arrive at some understanding. It's funny because I sometimes see students who like refuse to participate in the group stuff. Yeah. And I, I'm just thinking about it right now that sometimes these same students who refuse to participate with a study partner in class, even for like a short exercise, they will just like refuse to say which ones they missed and like work through their mistakes mm-hmm. <laughs> with a friend. Mm-hmm. But those are also the same students who tend to not ask me very good questions about the ones they're missing. Yeah. So it's like, they're not, it's, it's like they're not willing to humble themselves and say what they don't understand. Or sometimes maybe it's because they just have this attitude that it's all bullshit and that it doesn't really make sense and that it's arbitrary. You know how you get people saying, oh, well, it's all just so subjective. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not subjective. And, and those things are directly tied to each other. It's like it's, it's a yin-yang sort of thing because it's understandable that you think it's subjective if you don't thoroughly understand why your answer is wrong. If your explanation is, oh, okay, and this happens so much, uh, they just think that that's better. Well, no, they, they say that answer is a better fit. What they really mean is LSAC thinks it's a better fit. Right. And I don't think it's a better fit. I mean, like when you really push them on it, right? They're like, yeah, but I mean, honestly, I kind of think that <laughs> yep. that other thing is a better fit. And it's like, yeah, that's because that's the level of your analysis. And well, there's an aspect you, that you're not understanding. Yeah. Once you unpack it, they're like, oh, yeah. Okay. I can see how that's objectively bad. And they're like, yep. okay, now do you feel like they're cheating you? Do you feel like they're <laughs> just giving you their answer because they're the LSAT gods? And it's like, no. Yeah. That's worse. Okay. You're behind the logic and now you're moving forward. Totally. This is this is actually really important. I mean, if you want to improve your LSAT performance, you gotta you gotta face your demons, face face the things you don't understand. And if you think it's if you if you're just gonna go with that, oh, this is just bullshit. Yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. That's just that's that one's just a better answer. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're not. If you think it's subjective, you're just wrong. It's not. There's <laughs> if you put a hundred LSAT experts in the room. 99 of them would have gotten it right. Well, yeah, you don't even need to put 100. You could put all 40,000 people who took this test. That question was subjected through serious right. scrutiny. And for every score band, the percentage of people who got that right increased, which means everybody is voting on that question and they're saying, yes, as you get smarter and smarter students, you're getting more and more people saying, yes, D is a better answer. That is correct. And it's not a subjective judgment because when you get to the top level, every single person would have agreed that that's the answer because that's the answer because it makes sense for reasons because words mean what they mean. And there's just like reasons to get rid of that wrong answer that you think is, Oh, just as good. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. And there's reasons why the right answer is right. So yeah, people need to like really feel that like you got to identify with like, yes, and and everybody can see it on the simplest questions, right? Mm-hmm. On the very easiest questions, it's like, well, yeah, that one has to be the answer. It's not subjective at all. That's just the answer. Well, that's how experts feel about almost every question on the test. Yeah. 
So when your head's spinning and you're just like, oh yeah, I don't know, whatever, it's a better fit. That's, that's not enough review. And like, that's very likely why you're at that plateau. Cool. Not that <laughs> our dear listener here is necessarily feeling like everything's subjective, but you probably do need to review more and maybe you're trying just not in the right way. And the way is to try to unpack each sentence word by word, figure it and out. And ask, ask questions. I mean, this is somebody who took your class and, and sounds like still has access to your online materials yeah. maybe. Yeah. And I'm sure you would welcome questions from, from her, but yeah. are you getting any? Like I, I doubt it. I mean, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience here because I'm always shocked how few questions I get from my classes. I mean, yeah. I have an ongoing class in San Francisco and an ongoing class in LA and I'll go days at a time without any of them ever emailing me anything. And then when they do email me, they, they like, or in class, you know, they like to say, Hey, why aren't, why am, why are my scores not improving? Why am I at a plateau? And it's like, what don't you understand why well, I'm, I'm sitting here waiting for you to send me questions so that I can help you. And by the way, when right. it comes to those questions, um, they come in all sorts of varieties. I mean, you're talking about very broad questions like why is my score not improving or whatnot, but you can even have questions where it's like, why is, please explain this question or why is D wrong? And it's like, yeah, we're getting more specific, but I, I like it even more when someone's like, is D wrong because of this? It's yeah. like, oh, now you've tried as hard as you can. You've gotten down to the sand, the grains of sand. And it's like, is yeah. it that grain of sand or is it this other one? It's like, nope, it's this other one. Or yes, you're right. And I love saying, yes, you're right. Because it's like, they did, they found it on their own. So all well, I'm that's, doing is confirming. Yeah. That's the most important lesson you can teach somebody is to say, Hey, yes, you have figured it out. That is exactly why that answer is right. And that's exactly why that answer is wrong. And you got there yourself because you can get there yourself mm -hmm. because this shit makes perfect sense. Once you have taken the time to unpack it and make sense of it. Another category of broad, overly broad questions is like, I, I just, I just really struggle with these necessary assumption yeah. questions. <laughs> Do you have any tips? Tips. Do you have any tips on these parallel reasoning questions? I really always mess up these parallel reasoning questions. And it's like, which one? <laughs> what answer did you pick? Let's talk about why that's wrong. Why did you Let's pick talk about that? What? <laughs> yeah. All right. Should we uh, leave it there? We should. Excellent. We're thinking LSAT on Instagram. Strategyprep.com is Ben's website. If you want to learn about live classes in DC and his online options, foxlsat.com is my website. If you want to learn about classes, uh, live classes in LA or San Francisco, and you can learn about my online stuff there as well. The thing we're probably both most excited about these days is lsatdemon.com. You can study, uh, from your phone, tablet, PC, basically anywhere you can get an internet connection and that uh, demon is more closely and closely resembling the online digital LSAT, not online, but the digital LSAT, which yep. is coming this fall um, or this summer to some students and this fall for everyone. If you use the LSAT demon, you'll be studying the LSAT in the same format as you'll be taking the LSAT if you're taking it in September or beyond. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. That was show number 184. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs> <laughs>